Are you ready to take your hemp experience to a whole new level? Because if so, I want to tell you about my sponsor, Mountain Made. Their puff line of smokable flour is unreal. They meticulously source each strain from select partner farms to ensure only the highest quality product in the marketplace. When it comes to the entourage effect, nothing tops strain-specific flour. It delivers the full range of all the amazing effects of CBD. I can tell you because I use it myself. With 0.7 grams of premium full flour inside of each pre-roll, you'll be ready to maximize your personal summit whenever you smoke. So check out Mountain Made today and grab a puff. They're federally compliant with less than 0.3% THC, which means they ship nationwide. All right, I'm going to grab a puff and let's get back to the episode. But I'm going to just go ahead and invite uh, Jay Schiffman up to share his story. So let's give it up for Jay. Welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I am your host, Jay Schiffman. Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. We made it to episode 50 and we made it to 2021. Happy New Year, everybody. I am so delighted to be here with you today. I'm recording this on Tuesday. It's the 29th. I've actually spent <laughs> I've spent all day messing around with my sound. There's something wrong with it. I, I, I got it back to like 90% of what it was, and that's just going to have to be good enough for today. It's probably the thing that annoys the hell out of me the most is technology issues, especially because I spend most of my time at this computer. So technology issues really get in the way of the work I'm trying to do, but happy to be here, happy to have made it to 2021. Some really great things coming up. This is the last special episode of the Between Seasons Gap. Next week, January 8th, the first new episode of Season 2 will be dropping. I'm very excited for y'all to hear all the new stuff. New theme song, new sponsors, same level of amazing guests. So please tune in next week. Also, January 27th at 8.30 Eastern Time, 5.30 Pacific, a brand new project from Choose Your Struggle will debut. Choose Your Struggle presents Rock Bottom Storytellers. Four awesome storytellers live on Facebook and YouTube, so make sure you're subscribed, telling their stories of tragedy and triumph. We're going to sit with those rough moments for a little bit. We're going to normalize struggle. We're going to end stigma. It's going to be great. Four storytellers, one musician, tune in, Check out the flyers and social media on my website, all the good stuff. But before all that, I want you to enjoy today's episode. It's with a really great podcast host, JT Frank. His show is Consequence of Habit. He's doing incredible work in the mental health and substance misuse space. I really enjoyed chatting with him. We've, we've become friends. He's, he's a great guy. Enjoy this episode and make sure you're tuning in next week for a new episode. It's going to be great. All right. Talk to y'all soon. There's very little better than waking up in the morning to a truly fantastic cup of coffee. And if you're like me, you're looking for something that tastes fresh and isn't weak or overproduced. That's why I've switched to Four Sigmatic and I won't go back. 
Four Sigmatic mixes their beans with mushrooms to give your brain that jumpstart you didn't know you needed. So go to the link in my show notes or on my podcast page and use the code CHOOSEYOURSTRUGGLE at checkout for 10% off. You can sign up for one of their awesome subscriptions or just try buying a bag. And with their 100% money bag guarantee, there's no downside. So check them out today and don't forget the code CHOOSEYOURSTRUGGLE. Hey everybody, it's JT, and if you are hearing this, you have once again tuned in the Consequence of Habit podcast. Hey guys, I mentioned that we had a giveaway. I'm following through with it, man. We're giving away some athletic brewing beer, and all you got to do is call my new hotline. I don't know how hot it is, but I have a phone number now, which I'm, which is another thing I'm excited about. People ask me, hey man, how's your podcast going? And I go, oh, I don't know. I have a giveaway. And I have a phone number for it now. So you, I, you tell me. So if you want to get yourself some, or if you want to try and get yourself some free beer, go ahead and call 252-557-9012 and tell me about your habits. Uh, I'm going to listen to, I'm going to listen to some habit suggestions. Uh, so if you have something that's bringing value to your life, it doesn't have to be some groundbreaking giant thing, just something that's bringing, making your day a little bit better, a little more productive, uh, please call in, leave a message, let me know what it is. I'm going to take a listen. Uh, if you don't want to call, I get it. Just go ahead and email me at jt at consequenceofhabit.com and tell me about what you're doing. I need some suggestions. And uh, if I hear one, I think, oh, that's a good one. Uh, then you will receive a six pack of athletic brewing. Also, if you want to nominate somebody for the show to include yourself. You think somebody's got a story that needs to be told, uh, please call in that number as well or email me at jt at consequenceofhabit.com. All right, moving on. More housekeeping. Hey, we're really trying to make this thing grow and it and it is. It's going, it's going, it's not going fast, but it is growing. Uh, but my my ask of you is to help facilitate that. If you could share this thing uh, with a friend, word of mouth is it's huge. I mean, I think it's honestly how this thing is growing and I'm going to be, I'm going to be hundred percent honest. Not many people in my close circle even know I do this. Now this thing is growing organically on its own because of, well, because of you guys uh, sharing it. So if you could continue to do that, I'm, if you could share this thing, uh, I, I would, I would greatly appreciate it. Again, it, it doesn't go back to me. It goes back to the stories that need to be told and some of the positive emails I get from people saying, Hey, I, I got some nuggets of so some good nuggets of information and they're helping me. So let's continue to facilitate that and uh, share it. All right, this week's guest, he's a speaker, he's a coach, he's an advocate. He is a podcast host for a pretty big podcast, man, called Choose Your Struggle Podcast, uh, Mr. Jay Schiffman. Now, Jay, Jay's a professional. Now, I've interviewed some people before and you know, every once in a while, it, it can be tough. It's tough getting information out of people. It, it, it's up in their head. I mean, there's a reason that they're on the podcast, but it can be work to get it out. Not with Jay. Jay is a freaking pro, man. I mean, I guess he is a professional speaker and coach and, and, and all those things, so I, I shouldn't be surprised, but uh, it, was a, it was a pleasure talking to him. I, I mean, I, I got a lot of pointers on this guy. Uh, we talk about addiction. We talk about mindset. We talk about habits. We just... Wow, we talk about all the all the stuff that this podcast is about. So, 
without further ado, please welcome Mr. Jay Schiffman. All right, this is JT here at the Consequence of Habit podcast. We are here with Jay Schiffman. Jay, man, I appreciate you coming on. Well, it's, it's great to be here, JT. And, you know, it was really great connecting with you. Any chance I get to talk about these issues is one that I, I jump at because I think they're so important. But but when I get a chance to talk with someone who, who gets it, that's even better. There is something about talking to your own, right? Like, so when, when, you know, when, if you go to see a counselor or a therapist or something, it's always, for the most part, that's a one-sided thing. Uh, and when we start talking about mental health and we specifically, and when we get into things like addiction, uh, there is, there's a lot of barriers that are broken down when you start talking to somebody who, who openly admits some of the same struggles. So, um, I'm excited about this one. And most of the podcast listeners know my background, know my story in, in, in my own struggles. Uh, Jay, can you, you just give us a rundown of, of one, where you're from and, and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, so I'll, I'll do the short version because uh, I am a public speaker, so I've got the hour version. I've got the half an hour version. I'll give you the five-minute one. Uh, I'm, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, born and raised there. I currently live in Charleston, South Carolina, but as I was just telling our wonderful host here right before we came on, uh, my wife and I will be moving to Philadelphia in the spring, so we're very excited about that. I am going on 11 years in recovery, and uh, that experience is not the one that most people are, are used to. Uh, it is uh, a prescription. My, my struggles were with prescription pills, but it's not an op- opioid. So, so you know, we're, we're seeing all of that in our front page news. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's not really my story. So, and I say unfortunately because it means a lot of people don't really understand, you know, what I went through. What's really sad is that my story isn't unique, and, and that was I was misdiagnosed as a teenager with a pretty serious issue of mental health. Um, and, and I do, I have struggled my whole life with my mental health, you know, depression, and anxiety have been my best friend since I was little, <laughs> I have OCD. And so all of that together, plus, uh, before that I was diagnosed with ADHD and you take sort of the underlying issues that I do have, you take the, the developing teenage brain, which we all remember puberty. It's not fun. And you add to it high levels of chemicals for ADHD, um, and it creates a, a perfect storm, you know, it creates a perfect storm inside the brain and uh, that that perfect storm can include some pretty disastrous side effects. Now, unfortunately uh, for me, unlike for a lot of people, my therapist didn't look at that and say, oh, well, those are side effects. He looked at that and went, those are signs of a larger issue. And he called that issue bipolar disorder. Mm. So by my late teens, I was being treated for that as well. And by my early 20s, I'm uh, completely dependent on my medication. I'm taking handfuls multiple times a day. Uh, at 23 was when I finally sort of gave up uh, and, and I attempted suicide twice. I overdosed and thankfully survived my overdose. Uh, I wound up in a lockdown unit for three weeks and then a long-term care facility for three months, followed by an eventual detox. And uh, my detox took me uh, about four months because it's what we call step down, where you take a little bit less at a time until you finally get it out of your system. Uh, because unfortunately for me, I had so many drugs in my system that going cold turkey would have literally killed me. So uh, that was sort of the rebirth moment was 2010. Um, and like I said, I've been going on uh, 11 years now. 
And in your recovery, at some point, you started talking to others about it, right? And and that's right. Um, you know, I love that. I love the fact that one, you're able to to find your own path to sobriety and all that comes along with that. But then, you know, you start dragging other people along with you. Uh, how long were you sober uh, before that that process started for you? So I am not a hundred percent sober. I belong more towards the other side. Whereas that I am, um, I don't touch prescription pills. Don't get me wrong. Okay. I've had doctors try. Um, in fact, I was on a call not long ago and I just told this story and I tell it very quickly because I think it's so important to, to make this specification. Um, I am not sober, but I, I do am in recovery and I won't go near any prescription pills. And I'm very mindful when it comes to all substances, mm. right? Because I know what that feels like. And I can tell, am I doing okay with this? Is this not something that I should be doing? So I went, to, I was in a car accident about four years ago and I was okay. I, I bumped my head pretty good. And, um, I, I had a concussion. So they took me to the hospital and, uh, I get the scans and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and then the nurse comes in and says, um, you know, you've got some pretty serious whiplash. We would like to give you some, some painkillers. And I said, Oh, Oh no, 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 no. I'm, I'm in recovery. I don't, I don't, I don't do that. Right. Uh, you know, I was very respectful about it because I thought she'll understand, you know, this won't be a big deal. And she wasn't, she looked at me and she said, well, but I have to give these to you. What? And I said, no, no, you really don't. Like, <laughs> I, I don't want to, I don't want to touch these, uh, you know, I'm going to be okay. I'll take some Tylenol or something. I'll be okay. And she said, no, 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 but I'm going to give you this prescription. And this became a shouting match very quickly. Um, and, and she finally said, okay, I'm going to go get the doctor. So she leaves the room and she comes back with the doctor and the doctor has the same attitude. Like, I'm going to give you this prescription. And I said, you're not like, I, I'm not willing to take that risk. It could be fine. It probably won't. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. We end up screaming at each other in this hotel room. Now, mind you, again, I've been concussed. I'm still not. And I'm having to defend myself in this moment against a doctor who is dedicated to giving me this pain medication. So eventually he walks over and he slams the medication into my hand. And I look at him in the eyes and I tear it up in front of him. And he says, you know what? Fuck it. I gave it to you and walks out of the room. And I'm very thankful that in that moment I got pissed off because it would have been a lot easier for me just to say, you know what? Fine. You know, I'll take the, the yeah. prescription and walk out of there. Maybe I'm okay. Maybe I'm not. I didn't want to find out. And I'm glad I didn't have to. Do you think that's, I mean, how long ago was this? Five years, you said? 2017. Or so. So, I guess that was about the time when you would think that things started changing. Do you, I, I wonder if they have that same attitude now. Now that it's been, there's been so much light brought to it, especially, uh, especially with, like you said, with the opiates. I definitely agree with you. I think it will have changed. Uh, I do think that there's still this fear on the part of doctors. And, 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 you know, I've done a lot of studying on this because I'm fascinated by drug policy, by, by drugs, period, and, and how we approach them in our, in our society. And it all goes back to the same place that the opioid epidemic came from, which is that fit of pain is the fifth vital sign uh, movement in medicine, which was where we taught doctors for a good decade and a half that there was a fifth vital sign and it was a person's pain. And the most important thing was to help a person get rid of pain and, and kind of uh, not so secretly because they were afraid the person may sue if they didn't do that. Yeah. And so that this, this doctor, I, I truly believe is not a bad person, but he was trying to do what he thought was right to protect himself, protect the hospital, because the last thing they wanted was me to walk out of there in a lot of pain. And I don't know, some lawyers say, did you get the treatment you deserve? And I 
go, no, you know, I'm really in a lot of pain. Next thing we know, there's a lawsuit. Now, I wouldn't have done that, but who knows who would have. So he definitely steered way too hard in the in the wrong direction there. Um, but I also don't think it's so simple to say, well, you know, he clearly was acting out of out of bounds because who knows? I mean, we don't I, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, just like he doesn't know what your addiction looks like. You know what I mean? So you, you both Great have, point. Right. Great point. Um, so I'm, I'm interested by this. So you you say you you no longer take prescription pills, but you are you are right. not sober. So uh, this is walk me through that. What like how how does that work? Yeah. So sobriety is a wonderful thing for a lot of people, and I myself was sober for a for a good amount of time when I got in recovery. Now I should say that. I had, because as I, as I just told you my story, it's a very different one. And when I first got into recovery, I didn't really recognize myself as being in recovery. I saw this experience and it wasn't like, you know, I, yes, I used a lot of what we would call illicit drugs towards the end, but you know, I, my biggest issue is something that was prescribed to me. It was legal. My, my dealer was my, my (laughs) doctor, you know? So I saw this experience that I went through and I kind of had uh, to use an analogy I've used before it, it, it was sort of like a car accident where I got through it and I'm sitting on the other side going wow that was horrible but I'm through and it's over now and you don't you know you don't then see yourself as a driver if you've been through a car it, yeah. it's, it's a very one-time only sort of thing that's how I viewed my experience for a while but because of what these drugs did to my body I was like I'm gonna be you know, free and clear of everything for a while. I didn't drink coffee. I didn't do anything because I wanted my body to heal. Right. And then after that, I started saying, well, I wonder, you know, I've never had an issue with alcohol. Even when I was in my, in in my partying days in college and I was in a fraternity, you know, I would drink like an idiot sometimes, but I didn't feel the need the way I did with my prescriptions where I couldn't just take one. You know, I literally physically and mentally was dependent on these medications. I never felt that way for alcohol. So, you know, a couple of years into my recovery, I was like, okay, I'm going to try drinking. And I'm really thankful that I've never had uh, an issue with alcohol in that way. I do have like a lot of us do that addictive personality. And so I'm very mindful, you know, if I have a drink tonight, I'm probably not going to drink tomorrow or definitely not the day after because I don't want to tempt it and I want to make sure I'm doing it in a mindful and safe way. And I'm really lucky that I've been able to do that. And that doesn't work for everybody. And I also know that if I, if I uh, am not mindful, there is a risk of, of that developing into a, into a problem. But here I am, you know, like I said, going on 11 years and I've done pretty well so far. I I think that's a really important point is, is that this is an individual experience and and to try and blanket everybody with one solution. Um, and don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people that they need that they need. So for for me personally, I knew that alcohol does not fit into my life anymore. And, And I was really, that was a really hard decision to make. Um, but that was my vice. So I knew that no longer was that, that going to be, uh, be part of my life. Um, you know, and I, I think it's it is important for everyone to start to figure that out, and and even within the world of recovery, of being, I don't know if it's open minded or at least accepting of the fact that everyone's journey is their own, um, because there's a lot of programs, man. You you say that, those words, man, and you are going to get. I mean, I was at a meeting one time, and. My daughter was coming home uh, from college and she wanted chicken marsalis. So I was buying 
uh, Marsala wine for, for, to make chicken Marsala. And it was the first time I'd had wine in my house in shit, probably close to a year. And I, I, you know, I just, I just said it, you know, you, like th- that's the whole point of a lot of meetings is just to mm-hmm. express yourself, man, the kickback I got, I mean, wow. it, and I know that it's almost like that doctor, the, my best interest was in their mind. Like they want the best for me, but, but for me, it wasn't, it was something I could handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing wrong. It's not, that's not being strong or, or somebody else being weak. It's just, everyone is different in, right. in that, in that process. Uh, you men, you mentioned ADHD and I've had on other people dealing with addiction. I'm ADHD myself. Um, if you look at the statistics, I think it's like something like 70% or something. It's huge. Yeah. yeah. It, it's a real, yeah. it, it's a real problem. And I think s- especially now, uh, I don't know how old, you all, how old you are. I'm 45, but ADHD was not looked at the same when I was younger. Um, and, and there's this theme of people feeling, feeling lazy, feeling stupid, um, and, and escaping from that later on in life. And whatever, pick your poison and however you're going to do that. Um, you're, you're in this world a lot more than I am. You're a lot more knowledgeable about it. Is that something that you're, you've seen quite a bit? Yeah, hundred percent. And, and look, I don't want to be that guy who's just going to drop a bunch of data on the listeners, but there is a little that I think is really important. And, uh, for Frank, for JT knows this, but for the listeners, I, my, my sort of bread and butter going into 2020 before all in-person events were canceled was I'm a public speaker. And so I do have, uh, when Frank says, keep calling you Frank, when JT says that I'm knowledgeable about this, it's because it's my job to be. Um, so there is a little bit of data that I want to, I want to drop you know, I'm 34. And, and when I was diagnosed at 11, um, you know, sort of like what you're saying, ADHD, and and it's really more of an umbrella disorder because we put ADD under that and a lot of other things. In the, in the 1980s, when I was born, uh, there were really only about 350,000 people in the U.S. treated for this uh, disorder. Now, by the time I was diagnosed myself, just 10 years later, that number had jumped to 2 million. Wow. So the 90s was an explosion. And, I, and by the way, I've given that figure before, and I literally had someone come up to me after a speech and go, well, thank God we don't do that anymore. And I said, lady, that number <laughs> is now 4.5 million children every year. Yeah. It's even worse now than it was, you know, before. But but I tell that because he, here's why it's important. Number one, I was tried on every drug that came out on the market in the 90s. So, so when you hear that and then you hear that there were side effects that I experienced, well, no, duh, there was all, all these medications were new. Number two, you're definitely right that the rate in uh, people who struggle with ADD and, and substance misuse is so much higher. And, and there's a lot of facts to sort of back this up. Number one, they found this one study found that uh, roughly 25% of those who were diagnosed with ADHD or the on um, something else under that umbrella experimented with uh, substances before they were uh, in their, in their teenage years or so, which is a rate 20% higher than the average population. And why that's important is that if you, if you experiment with substances before you're 15, you're like 20% more likely to struggle with substance misuse use later in life. Uh, if it's before 13, it's astronomically higher. And if you wait until you're in your twenties, uh, that number is like 2%. Really? So we know that our brains 
they take ADHD, or really any high level of medication, the same way inundating a developing brain does with alcohol or any other substance. So I'm not saying that me taking a bunch of ADHD medication is just as bad as me snorting a bunch of cocaine every morning. But what I am saying is that the way it interacts with the brain and and triggers some of these things that we now know can impact your, your more likelihood to struggle with substance misuse is astronomically higher. Hmm. So if you are like me, if you are like most people who struggle and there are other triggers as well, you are almost guaranteeing that that person is going to struggle with substance misuse. Now, you could take these medications and be completely fine. And that just means you're lucky and you don't have the other factors in the equation towards substance misuse. But if you have other ones like I do, and one of those is underlying issues of mental health, like I mentioned, anxiety, depression, OCD, those make you higher, a higher chance of struggling with substance misuse. And then you add in these things like early onset experimentation, or in my case, being prescribed high levels of chemicals at an early age, you're basically saying this is going to happen to you. So instead of doing the right thing, which is, and let's talk about what that may look like, how we can work on, you know, backing you off. If you're starting to show science, none of that happened. I didn't get any education. And and so when I started to struggle, I had no idea. And, And even when I was at my worst, yeah, I knew the drugs were a problem but I didn't identify as someone struggling with substance misuse because I had a therapist telling me that, you know, you're supposed to be taking these drugs and they just must not be working. We got to try new things. So it is sort of a disastrous consequence of not enough education and uh, a, a therapist who quite frankly was sort of doing some criminal stuff. Yeah, that's scary stuff, man. You know, when, when your drug deal, if you have to pay a copay to your drug dealer, there's there's there's, there's something wrong, man. Um, I agree. Although I will say, it was very nice that I didn't have to get out of my car. I would drive through that CVS <laughs> drive-through and say, "I'm here for my drugs," and they would go, "Great, here it is." Yeah. And so, yes, I agree with you. The copay part is scary, but the the ease of getting it is yeah, way nicer yeah. than other drugs. Hey, when when you started. Uh, distancing yourself from your your prescription medication you go to a detox was that followed by some other type of program like a 12 step did you like were you getting to the bottom of why you're doing things or or was it more of a physical dependency uh uh for you that's a great question and i will say um so when I was in the long-term care facility for three months and that's where I decided I wanted to get off of medication. And, and uh, I, I have all of my records from this period or all the ones that were available, you know, some places destroy records and all that kind of stuff, but, but I have what I have. And one of the things that I have is my in-house therapist from this long-term care facility. And you can read in his notes the day that I walked in and asked him if I could get off all my medication. And he's flat out against it because, you know, this is, this is their job is to keep me on this kind of stuff. Um, and, and he says the only reason he would let me get off it is if I started over with a new regimen and we tried something else. And, and that's not what I wanted to do. Like, you understand that. Yeah. I wanted to try being completely off this yeah. stuff. So I checked myself out and I go to live with my grandmother um, who will let me sort of go through detox while living with her. And I go to a therapist there only because um, step-down detox can be very dangerous if not done right. right. And so I had a therapist advising me on how quickly I could step down and that kind of stuff. During that period, I tried to go to AA. And uh, this was in Arizona in a, in a small town called Cornville, which is outside of Sedona, if that tells you how small this town was. Yeah. Um, and I go to this 
you know, AA group and there's like five or six people there. And I walked in here, I'm a 24 year old uh, struggling with, with prescription pills. And all these other guys are older dudes who, you know, or been drinking their whole life or now off alcohol and all that. And, and to say that they were like, what the hell are you doing here is an understatement. You know, it, it did not mesh and it's not their fault, right? They all were doing their program and I didn't fit in their program whatsoever. So, um, I didn't go back to AA after that. And that is the piece that I did miss in my recovery. And when I talk about this, I make that very clear that I wouldn't advocate my recovery journey to anybody because I did it alone. And I didn't have anybody, you know, walking me through great questions like that. So when I physically and got the drugs out of my system, the low level, you know, issues and all that kind of stuff was still there. And that took me way longer to get over. And I truly believe that when I started speaking about this five years into recovery, it was because I finally got to a point of healing that I got to a point where my maturity that had been denied me, like my, my literal uh, um, mental maturity that had been denied because of how many pills I was taking and how my brain actually just didn't get a chance to develop the way that it should have during my teenage years. Cause I was on so many uh, medica- medications uh, that plus my emotional maturity and my body, all of that caught up with each other. And I was able to sort of go through some of these things with the help of a therapist, uh, finally to reach a point that, that healing could happen that was much later than it would have if I had the support of a supporting group. Uh, but because I did it alone, I didn't have that support. So, um, it took me a lot longer and it was a lot more work on my part. Yeah. Yeah. That is a, that's a point that I've thought a lot about was, you know, I I grew up in, in, I grew up around alcohol. It was, it was constantly in, in my life. Um, and I, you know, I took right to it because that's what, that's what I, you know, that's what you did. And I honestly think, I mean, I, I have a bad case of arrested development and this whole process has been trying to get past that. Um, I mean, everyone says, Hey, I still feel like I'm 22. Well, I legit felt like I was, you know, 18 in my head and I'm not talking about physical, like I'm feeling as if I had just numbed enough for long enough that there was a lot of that, you know, they, they talk about that whole prefrontal cortex developing, man. I, and I think I just pickled it. I, I was just pickled for, for a long time. And, and I'm in the process now of trying to just trying to get it right. So, um, so you sip. Well, but the, but the beautiful thing though, JT, is that you're doing it right. Yeah. Because there are a lot of people who go through what you go through. And, and by the way, I'm actually working with a client right now on this very thing. And it's not, it's not really their fault, but their mindset is that, well, that's it for me, you yeah. know, that I did this uh, and, and this person is younger than me, but they've sort of set in that this is just defines them. It's who they are. And, and so I, I do want to say applause to you for for doing that work, because it's very easy to go. God, I screwed this up and, and that was my chance. I'm yeah. done now like that. That's all I've got. Uh, so props to you for saying, all right, I'm going to flip this script. I'm going to I'm going to work a little bit on it. I appreciate that. I do. It's it's. I mean, I mean, it's something I feel an immense sense of pride about um, just because it's been such a stigma in, in not not just in my life, but the, the people closest to me. I literally watched my my grandfather. This is no joke. I watched him take his last breath um, from drinking. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, and and um, if that's not enough in itself, you know, I mean, and then I went to the bar afterwards. 
I want to write to a bar. And the problem, well, not the problem, but when you say everyone's journey is different, my, my journey was different in that I wasn't your, I wasn't your guy that was just blacked out drunk. I, I mean, I, I drank good beer. I drank good, like I drank good bourbon. Like I, I you know, I, you know, I don't say this with pride, but you know, I never got a DUI. I never lost a job. I, I still, on the surface, I had it together. Um, but deep down inside, ooh, not so much. So, um, I don't even know what the point of that is. It, it is, I think, I think almost like what you're saying is putting a label on, on somebody and saying, Hey, I had a problem with this or I, uh, you know, I'm sure he's not a drunk drunk, but, uh, everyone is completely different in this. And it's the important thing is to say, Hey, I don't want to do this anymore, but I can't stop. I can't right. for whatever reason stop. So that's what you got to work through, whether it's AA through or there's through a therapist. I don't care what it's from. You know, I talked to, yep. I had a guy on here. He runs 200 mile freaking races through the mountains at one time. He, he did 200 miles in 56 hours and he finds a deep down truth in himself that, that, you know, I'm sure years of therapy, you know, couldn't do. And when you, like, even when you talk about, Hey, you can have a drink now, but you have to have that honest conversation with yourself. Hey, can I handle this? Yeah. Um, yeah and, and I, I just think that's so important for you to say that to, to, to make clear is that, you know, your story also like mine is not the one that we have been taught is labeled as quote unquote yes. addiction, yes. right? Your story he sounds like a guy who had a normal uh, relationship with alcohol, whereas mine, the, the misdiagnosis and, and the the um, the physical and mental dependence on on benzodiazepines and antipsychotics is not a story that gets told. Yeah. And yet your struggle is one that other people can relate to. Mine struggle is one that statistically there are a lot of people going through. And yet those stories don't really break through. And it's so important for people like you, for people like me to tell our stories so that someone can go, Oh my God, I, I identify with that. And he made it through. Oh, I can do this. Yeah. So, so you get off these medications, you're off your ADHD, ADHD medication, you're off your mental health medication. You still have to be doing something to, to get, to get yourself through this, to get yourself in the position you are now. Uh, is that just therapy? What do you have a daily practice? Like talk, talk to, talk to us about how, how you manage every day without these things. Yeah. So number one, the most important thing was, was learning myself and, and getting in touch with who I was finally after all that was out of my system and, and then coming to terms with that person and learning sort of number one, uh, you know, what, what, who I was at, at the core and what part of me I could improve, what part of me was just, that's, that's who I am. Um, and, and being okay with myself as a person, right. That, that was literally base level after that. Yes. Working with a therapist has been huge. Uh, I'm not currently seeing one at this moment, um, because I was seeing a guy before, uh, and this is something I also talk a lot about, you know, treating your mental health, like your physical health. So I was seeing a guy who was very good at being my general therapist. We had a great relationship. And then I wanted to start working on some trauma and it wasn't going very well. We finally had an honest conversation that you know, he's just not a trauma therapist mm -hmm. and he felt pressured to try to do that for me. And even though it's not really his thing. And I felt like, well, I don't really, I don't want to be like, you know, rude to you and right. go see someone else. And it was awkward. And we were both like, this is dumb. Like go see a, you know, a trauma yeah, therapist. Yeah. And then of course COVID happens and I haven't been able to do that. But, um, 
I, I am a huge proponent of seeing therapists. It took me a while, you know, after one of them almost killed me uh, to go back and see another one and to trust one. But then I found a really great therapist and I've seen a number over the last couple of years. My wife and I have been uh, to marriage therapists together to try to, you know, we have a wonderful relationship, but you can always be better. Right. And uh, I just am a huge proponent of therapists. So that's number number two. Number three is mindfulness is so key to me. It's an everyday thing. Um I actually have three different uh, mindful uh, techniques built into my day. So number one, when I get up in the morning, I, I've got a, a not a great lower back, so I have to stretch in the morning. And when I'm doing that, I'm focused on positive affirmations. And some of those can feel very silly. Uh, you know, you're just kind of pumping yourself up, mm-hmm. and and it can be it can feel dumb when you're just telling yourself good things. Um, but it's so important because when shitty things happen throughout the day, if you're already headed on a downward slope, you're going to keep going downward. But if you can catch it and go up first. When you get knocked down a little bit, you're not going to be as as far down. Uh, so that's the number one thing I do every day. Number two, at, at lunch, um, I have a reminder on my phone. It, it's a daily check-in, and I just sit down and sort of, it's like half journaling, half meditation, where I just, I see what's going on in my head. I get it out. I write it I write it down, and then I can deal with it. I can, I can learn about what's going on in my head, and, you know, a lot of that's very, very normal. A lot of it, it goes, oh, I didn't realize I was carrying that resentment or that anger or that whatever. So uh, knowing that that's there is crucial. Uh, and then number three, at the end of every day, I sit, I look back on my day and I rate it. And, and I do that for two reasons. Number one, you know, the way, you, the way you go to bed can color your day. And so, you know, if I just had a fight with my wife or if my last night, literally as we're getting into bed, my dog peed on our bed. Uh. She got freaked out by something. And so we had to do all the, you know, we had to clean everything right as we were getting into bed. And, and, and in, that could have colored my entire day. Oh, this day sucked. Well, no, it was a bad moment and otherwise good day. So doing a review like that is super helpful, but also as someone who struggles with depression, I rate my day so that, you know, if I'm three or four days in a row where I just feel like, Oh, the world sucks. I've never been happy. All this is terrible. I can literally go back and look at my phone and say, Nope. Okay. It's only been two days in a row after before that, everything was fine. You know, clearly you just need to spend a little bit more time figuring out, what's going on and what's causing you this, you know, this feeling. Uh, and it's a great way to get out of that depression. Yeah. That, it's, that seems to be across the board. This whole mindfulness thing. My, my last episode was just on stoicism. That's been a, been a big part of my, my journey. And it, it's really, it, I mean, it comes down to emotional awareness. Like, well, what's going on in your head? You know, if, if I'm ready, if I'm ready to drag a guy out of his head of his car, um, because he cut me off, <laughs> it's not him. Like it's not, yeah, sure, he cut me off, but, but there's something going on. I, I mean, that could be a fight with my wife, you know, you go, well, God, man, you're awfully angry. And I, and I have to try and figure out like, am I justified or am I just, am I pissed off at something with myself or am I feeling a certain way? Um, and those kind of talks, that, that doesn't come natural, right? Like that is, most people are just along for the ride. And especially when you start talking about mental, mental health, did Jay, you're you're a natural talker, communicator. You're very good at it. Did that hinder you at all uh, as far as you were able to talk the talk when even though when you were dealing with some tough stuff, could you come across as this kind of polished stone even though you're you're kind of hurting? 
Yes and no. Uh, obviously, as as uh, you know, we talked about before, everyone's path is different. But for a lot of people who get to a, a point of struggle that I got to, you know, and I and I mean at that point an extent, uh, you can't hide that anymore, mm. right? And, and we go from being like like you, uh, nobody really could tell because it was more deep down and yeah. and, and and not really the, the cracks weren't really showing um, to a point of no return. Where good lord, you know, everybody knows. Like everyone other than you knows how, yeah. how bad it is. Right. Um, so when I got to that point, you know, obviously there was no, there was no hiding it But before that a hundred percent. And in fact, the first speech I ever gave about being in recovery, I talked about that and I said, you know, there were friends of mine in that room who never knew that I had, I had struggled because I had just disappeared. You know, they didn't know why. And, and it was because uh, first I was basically not getting off my couch, was struggling with substance use. And then I was in the hospital and then I was in a long-term care facility. And then I was getting, you know, entering recovery. And so I never told them. They just knew Jay disappeared one day and was gone for almost two years. Yeah. And, and and so in that respect, um, that was sort of a shock to a lot of them that they had been around while I was leading up to being at a really bad place, but I was already struggling and nobody new. Um, and, and part of that is the stigma around this issue, right? If I had cancer, everybody would have known. I would have told, you know, unless you're Chadwick Boseman and you're keeping all that stuff completely yeah, yeah, to yourself, yeah. which by the way, that story is absolutely insane. Right. Uh, you know, other than that sort of situation, it, it, people know because you talk about these things you talk about, you know, my aunt currently has cancer and, and, and she's fighting it incredibly well. And my whole family has talked about it. Yet when I was at my worst, nobody talked about what was going on with me. It was just, Oh, Jay's really struggling. Yeah, right. So <laughs> it's, it, that's also a big part of it. It is. It, and that's, and it, it's really unfortunate because, you know, I've had people I love very much and they could be dealing with some, some type of mental health issue. And it, it it's like, like you said, it's almost hidden, but, if they needed insulin because they had diabetes, then that certainly wouldn't be a problem. So, <clears throat> and, and it's important, it's important for people to know, like, you know, some, some people is just chemically, that's just the way you are. Just like some mm -hmm. of us are chemically, you know, you know, some people can draw really well, or there's, you know, it's, there's, there's just certain things that it's the way you're born. Um, I, I, I hear you say a lot of times, well, all the time, you say substance misuse and not abuse. That's right. What's, uh, what's behind that? Well, so, so that's more of a, uh, a, a the, the, the connotations around these words are, are often uh, steeped in stigma, right? Um, you know, we used to just call someone an addict. But but then we came to the realization. Well, somebody with cancer isn't a cancer. Like you would, that would be a horrible thing to <laughs> right, say to right. somebody who is struggling with cancer, right? So you don't really hear that as much anymore. Uh, you'll hear somebody struggling with addiction or or whatever the case is. Um, and and the the whole point about substance uh, substance abuse versus misuse is that abuse is a very violent word. You know, when someone is abusing mm. uh, something, it's a very it's a very um, there's a there's a lot of anger behind that. You know, nobody abuses anything by by accident. I didn't accidentally abuse my wife. Like that's a that's a serious 
thing to say. So um, the, the, the shift is away from saying abuse in a lot of circles to misuse. And in saying that, number one, it takes some of the, the onus off that word. And number two, it implies that for a lot of these people, these uh, for a lot of people, these substances can be used safely mm. and and, you know, misusing it puts the the so it takes the pressure off the substance itself. You know, somebody who who misuses alcohol, it's their relationship with alcohol that's the, that's the problem. Other people can use alcohol perfectly fine and right. not struggle in that way. Um, and, and so there's, there's that thinking about it as well. Hmm. You, you, you stop me if, if I'm, if I'm misrepresenting anything, but just my experience with, with mental health, just like anything, there's ups and downs. And when you're in a position where you're talking to others, uh, you're, you're, you're speaking publicly. Do you ever feel if maybe you're having a bad day and you're not in the best place, do you struggle with that? You know, projecting something, talking to people about mental health in a certain way. Um, are you fully transparent about it? Uh, I, and I'm only asked that because I've been in that same, that same kind of not publicly speaking, but I could be on here talking and I could be talking about habits and then what you're supposed to be doing, what you're not supposed to be doing. Meanwhile, I completely am struggling that day, feeling like crap and, and not actually walking the walk. If, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think that the, the answer is it depends on the situation. I've been on stage where yeah, I'm not having a great day or I'm, I'm even, I once gave a speech while I was in the midst of a depression episode. Mm -hmm. And, um, part of that is, is that you got to pull it together because the way I approach it is that this message is bigger than me. You know, that, that these, these messages of getting rid of stigma of reaching out and having tough conversations in a vulnerable and empathetic way. I am the messenger of this much larger, important message. Mm. So um, that's a piece of it. But the other part is I have used that, you know, on the podcast for sure. I've said, you know, uh, especially the last couple of months of this year with everything going on, I have been incredibly transparent on how I feel, how I'm thinking. Um, you know, during, during the early days of COVID, I was as anxious as everybody else. And I talked about that, uh, because not talking about it would be disingenuous, especially on a podcast that talks about mental health. Yeah. Um, I did give it a, a virtual speech earlier this year where I sort of added some brevity uh, about this, that, you know, I would love to be in person. This was originally supposed to be an in-person speech. Uh, and, and so, you know, obviously I talked about how uh, it's kind of, it's good. We're still doing this because this is a topic that we all need to be talking about. Um, I don't want to, you know, and I was honest in the sense of saying, I don't want to project that I have it all together. I'm just as anxious about all this as, as y'all are. So um, there, there is a, a level of openness that, that is sort of um, uh, it's a benefit to what I'm talking about because it, it creates that connection that, that not addressing it would be sort of a, well, does he recognize what's going, what's going on around <laughs> everybody else right now? Yeah. You know, um, especially like when I put out a podcast, you know, during some of uh, like the immediate aftermath of the George Floyd uh, episode or uh, the, the murder of George Floyd, yeah. I, to not talk about it would have been incredibly disingenuous. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm, I watched the video and I'm having trouble articulating yeah. what I saw in that video, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and, and how 
much hurt I'm carrying from seeing that. And so stuff like that, I actually see it as a positive because it allows me to connect. Not, not that episode. I don't mean to say that I meant my feelings yeah, on yeah, that because it allows me to connect with the audience better. Hmm. So g- going back to your podcast, discuss what, like, what is your, what is the main goal of the podcast? You know, what kind of people are you talking to? What, what are you really trying to accomplish? So I, um, I started the podcast as a joke. Uh, no, not, <laughs> I started it because of a joke. My, my best friend in the world is a comedian in Chicago and, um, he, uh, he started a podcast and, and right before he did, I actually told a client who said to me, you know, you would, it was a coaching client. And he said, you'd make a great podcast host. You have a lot of good things to say. A lot of what you teach me could be on this podcast. And I was like, man, there's no way in hell. And, and, and literally a week later, my best friend starts this podcast and I love him. I've known him for 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. And I literally said to him, dude, if you can do a podcast, I can do a <laughs> podcast, you know? So um, I started this thing without really having any ideas. Uh, but I knew that, uh, you know, all the experts were saying that this COVID thing, this was back in February of uh, this year, you know, they were saying this COVID thing is going to be a real big deal. And I saw that already a couple of the, the speaking engagements that I was I already booked at were, were people were getting in touch going, you know, this may not happen, stand by. Right. And so uh, I launched the podcast thinking, okay, this will be a good way for me to, to chat with people. Um, and I just, there's a, there's a hunger for it. You know, there's a hunger for talking about these things. And I was asked by an interviewer uh, not long ago about why I think that podcasts, uh, you know, health and wellness is the number two podcast category after true crime. Everybody loves true yeah, crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were wondering why. And I said, quite honestly, it allows people to investigate things, you know, that are stigmatized, sex, um, mental health, substance misuse, all these kind of things that we don't talk about. But people are curious about. They have questions and they can do it in a private and safe way. They can do it while driving. You know, nobody else is in the car. They can do it with their headphones in. You know, my wife could be listening to something right now in the other room and I have no idea. And that's a great way for us to learn and investigate things that we may be a little ashamed about or scared to talk about. So, um it's I've been super lucky. The podcast has just taken off and um I'm very thankful. I'm thankful for my listeners. I'm thankful for the incredible guests that have come on. I've had, you know, uh, if you would have told me when I launched this in February that, uh, you know, I'd have a former Congress member, uh, I'd have musicians who have millions of streams a month that all want to talk about mental health and uh, substance misuse. I would have been like, there's no way in hell. I know I'm good, but I'm not that good. Um, And I just, I'm just very thankful. And and at the same time, it's been a lot of hard work. and, And I'm also... I'm thankful for my desire uh, to, to do it because, um, you know, there are a lot of people who, who kick off podcasts and um, don't have the privilege that I do to, to dedicate their time. Um, and, and, you know, so as, as much as COVID has been horrible, uh, it allowed me to dive into this thing and not just sort of, you know, uh, mess around the edges. I mean, I went full in and, and dedicated myself to this thing. Yeah, it's work. I mean, and, and that's... You know, there's a lot of people that just buy a buy a mic off of Amazon. They think they're just going to get on here and, and that's all you need to do. You hit record and, and you're off to the races. But there is there's a lot that goes into these things, man. And I I completely get why mental health is number two on the list. People people are really suffering. 
I mean, there's a, our society, you know, between the social media, all the pressure, uh, what's going on politically, what's going on with, oh, I don't know, a pandemic. There is a reason that, that death by despair has gone up astronomically. So, and there, there's a lot of people there searching, they're trying to find something out there. And if you can get that, you know, you find somebody, you, you go, oh, I, I, you know, that story, I, I resonate with that. And it's free content. You know, they're just listening in and trying to find those little nuggets to help them get through their day. I, I 100% get why it's, it is. And, and I also get why true crime's number one. I freaking love true crime. So I get it. We all do. It's a great escape. Yeah. Um, and, and you're so right. The, so the death of spirit thing is so interesting to me because we are focusing on it and we're overlooking, you know, yes, we talk about how we have to create better connections. We have to whatever. The one piece that those articles never talk about. And, and Nicholas Kristof, who, who writes for the New York Times, but more importantly, has written a lot of books on Death of Despair um, and is sort of the leading guy on this right now, rarely, if ever, mentions the word stigma. And it's because uh, it's easier to focus on things you can fix than it is to talk about something that is plaguing all of this. A lot of those deaths are preventable and all it would take would be someone to reach out and say, Hey man, you know, you seem like you're struggling. Do you want to, do you want to grab coffee? Do you want to yeah. talk? Obviously not during the pandemic, but you know, it, it, in knowing how to approach somebody who you are afraid may commit suicide over the last decade, the U.S. is number one in the world in deaths of substance misuse, and we're in the top 20% of suicides. We are the, you know, we're supposed to be this number one country, and yet 125,000 Americans die every year just from those two causes, mm. not from everything else that goes along with struggling with mental health and substance misuse, just those two. And if, if that number is hard to conceptualize, so I always tell this, that's the size of Topeka, Kansas. Wow. So if every year Topeka, Kansas just disappeared, eventually that would be front page news, yeah. probably year one. Yeah. And yet we're not talking about this. And that is that stigma at play is that people are still afraid to talk about these subjects. Why is that? Do you think? Well, so we've been two reasons. Number one, uh, when it comes to substance misuse, we've been taught uh, forever. And I do mean forever longer than our grandparents have been alive. This, the United States has taught that those who struggle with substance misuse are quote unquote other. And in fact, I've, uh, this is like a really nerdy habit of mine. Mm-hmm. I love drug policy because it's fascinating to me. The very first drug law in the United States, States was explicitly in the law anti-Asian. It says it right there hmm. that they are outlawing a form of um, uh, what's it called? Uh, smoking opium yeah. uh, and, and not the opium that's in uh, white people's medicine cabinets, no. only the smoking type because the smoking type was used by Asian immigrants. It says it in the bill. Wow. And, and that's also the 1920s at work, right? That's, that's just how we used to talk and think. Um, so, But that is that is also not out of line with the rest of drug policy. We have always taught that those who struggle are other. And when it comes to mental health, it's no different. Right. And and part of that is that there by grace of God go I feeling it's a lot easier to say, well, I would never struggle because I'm X, Y or Z than admitting this could happen to all of us. So that's number one on suicide. 
unfortunately, there's a misconception that if you talk about suicide, people will are more likely to commit suicide. And that's flat out false. The nugget of truth in there, there is a nugget of truth. And that is the more the media shows a method of suicide, right? If a famous person hangs themselves or whatever the case is, you do see copycats because people go, oh, that that works for them or this famous person did it. I'll be whatever the case is. So people take that and they extrapolate, oh, we shouldn't talk about suicide. No, 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 no. You have to talk about suicide. You have to reach out and you have to know how to do it. And uh, I'm very, very lucky that I've now been trained twice in what's called mental mental health first aid. Um, it's basically the same thing as first aid, except for, for mental health. And so it's for, you know, it teaches you how to reach out to someone that you may think is going to commit suicide, uh, somebody who's just been through a trauma of how to talk with them in that moment. And these are things that any Anyone can learn. I got it. You know, I, I got it through John Hopkins online. I also got it through the Red Cross. They, they both offer this. I definitely recommend it to everybody because they're great skills that every person should use. And, and we have to talk about these things more. We also have to do it from an educated place. Yeah, I was I was fortunate enough to have a guy on a couple episodes ago named Dan Hurd, and Dan's been riding across the country. He's ridden seventeen thousand miles on his bike. Holy and, shit! I know, <laughs> pulling up five hundred pounds between wow. because he was living in like a trailer. It's amazing. Um, it really is amazing. And he's working with an organization that's giving out, part of the podcast is giving out free training, which would cost $30. It's an online course, obviously, in, in these these times. Um, because I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people know how. I, I mean, there's a lot of paramedics and firemen that, that, that really need that type of training as well. Um, so... I, I'm, I'm going to send you his info too. Cause I, I think, be that, awesome. yeah, I think you guys would actually have a lot to talk about. Um, so on your coaching side, let's talk about that. Some of your mentoring that you're doing, what, what are you doing as far as someone comes to you and they say, Hey Jay, I'm looking for a mentor. I'm looking for some life coaching. Um, what's next? Yeah. So the first package that I always sign up people for is it's five sessions of of Zoom like this. And it's because, um, you know, I don't want and it's no offense to the person, but I don't want anyone who thinks that like, okay, I can talk to this guy once and I'm going to be, quote unquote, cured or or something like that. Right. I want a person who's going to commit. And. Also, to be clear, I say no almost as much as I say yes, because I don't think I'm the right fit for everybody. And I don't want to start a relationship that isn't going to be good for the person. That, that doesn't help me at all. And it doesn't help them. Right. Um, and, and so I am really lucky that I know a lot of amazing coaches. And if you're a better fit for someone else, uh, same thing with my speaking. Uh, if, if I'm someone else is a better fit, I had somebody reach out to me and say, I've got a group of inner city kids. I want to talk about what it's like to be black and have mental health issues. Jay, would you speak to them? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I'm not black. I've never been inner city. Why would, why would you want? So right, I, I connected right. them to this other amazing speaker who I knew and I know, and he of course did an incredible job. Uh, but, but that's what I mean is that I, you know, having options is incredibly important. So if they're the right fit for me. Um, it depends on where they are. You know, the last guy I was working with that we just ended, uh, he is currently, uh, he just overdosed right before we started working together. And so understanding, you know, what's going to come next. And, um, you know, a lot of people who come to me as a mental health coach are, 
afraid, not afraid, that's not the right word, are hesitant to see a therapist. And again, there's a lot of stigma there, so I don't fault them. But a success in my eyes is if by the end of the time we're working together, they're doing a lot of these, you know, mindfulness practices. They're they're doing, um, they're, they're taking positive steps. But if I can hand them off to a therapist, I, job victory banner is hung. I am so happy because I can't replace a therapist. I never want to replace a therapist. The best scenarios are when you're already seeing one and you're focusing on the big things. If you're going to your therapist and you're talking about mindfulness and all these kind of things, that's fine, but you're not getting your money's worth, right? You know, go to your therapist and talk about the big things and then come to me and we're going to work on everyday things like mindfulness. If someone wants to get in touch with you, Jay, where, where can people find you? Yeah, so the free thing, obviously, is the podcast. Uh, that one's completely free, although I do have a Patreon. Uh, the podcast is called Choose Your Struggle. Um, that's my brand. That's my company. Uh, I've, I sell merch with it. It's everything. So Choose Your Struggle. Um, and then my website is jshiffman.com, J-A-Y-S-H-I-F-M-A-N.com. And I am either Jay Schiffman or I am Choose Your Struggle on all social media. Uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. There's a really fantastic mental health community on LinkedIn and substance misuse. Um, and, and the reason is, you know, LinkedIn for the longest time is just for the workplace, right? That's what everyone thinks. But before the pandemic, Americans were spending as many waking hours with their coworkers as they were with their, you know, wife, husband, right. whatever the case is. Right. So, these conversations have to happen in the workplace or, or we're going to not prevent a lot of the losses that we need to be preventing. So there's a lot of us who do this work. Um, it also allows for more thoughtful conversation. You know, I post something on, on Facebook and I'm going to get a lunch, a bunch of BS people responding. Well, you know, I heard that if you're struggling with substance misuse, it's because you sinned against God. I don't care about your opinion. I'm sorry. I don't have any interest in your opinion. If I do this on LinkedIn, then we actually get, I get scientists who respond. I get educators who go, oh, that's so interesting. Uh, occasionally I'll get a PhD telling me to get out of their sandbox, but you know, that, that happens anywhere. So um, LinkedIn is just where I'm, I'm the most active. And then Instagram is mostly pictures of my dog. So, uh, you know, check that one out too. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, listen, Jay, unless you got something else to talk about, man, I just, I really appreciate you coming on here. This is, uh, this has been fantastic. Well, I, uh, this was a lot of fun. Like I said early on, I knew it was going to be because, uh, you know, I do a lot of these. In fact, I'm on pace for about 75 of these uh, this year, wow. you know, interviews of, of the like. But some of them are a slog, man, because people don't really get it. And, and it's like it's it's like, you know, rudimentary math. You know, it's doing three plus two. Right. And then there are other conversations like this one where we can actually talk about real things because the host gets it. And, and I don't have to spend time explaining things. And, you know, we actually get to have a good conversation. So I really appreciate it, JT. Yeah, cool. Hey, listen, let's do this again. And, and you said you're coming up my way here soon. So uh, We'll get together and have coffee or something. <laughs> Hopefully all this, this craziness is, passes us uh, sooner than later. That's right. And we'll get to record in person uh, one day. Dude, I, I love it. I love it. I got, yeah. I got two mics here and one's never used. So Nice. Me too. I'm just saying I have the same issue. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jay. Be good. Thanks, man. All right. That's it for me. If you're in the United States, I want to say happy Thanksgiving. If you are not, have a good Thursday. Well, well I, I hope every day is good. Um, but please, guys, please share this. I mean, if you made it this far in the podcast, it, it can't be that bad, right? So if you could just share this with your friends, I would really very much appreciate it. Leave a review because uh, it helps me. 
again, I don't know exactly how, but somehow in this algorithm thing, it is a plus. Uh, other than that, you guys all have a good week and I will catch you next Tuesday. So it looks like we're gonna be hanging out inside for at least a little while longer. And with the colder months coming up fast, there's never been a more perfect time to stock up on all your comfy clothes. Lucky for you, you listen to the Choose Your Struggle podcast and I have a sweet deal for you today. Check out my sponsor, Pair of Thieves. They've got everything you need, from shorts to lounge pants to underwear and bras. They even have a line of Disney socks with all your favorite characters on it. But here's the best part. If you use the link in the show notes or on my podcast website and the discount code Rakuten Thieves, don't worry, that's in the show notes too, you'll get 20% off every full price item in your shopping cart. So stock up on all your comfy clothes today and help out the podcast in the process. <laughs>